New York City. It's a blazing hot Monday in July 1981. 28-year-old Howard Schultz heaves his way through a revolving door and trudges toward the elevator. As he hits the up button, a co-worker spots him and rushes over. They work together at a company that manufactures plastic household objects. Hold the doors! The man squeezes in as the doors close. Schultz looks straight ahead, hoping to avoid the repetitive chit-chat. Hey, Howard, how was your weekend? Fine, fine, not too shabby. Hung out by the pool in the Hamptons. Nice! Yeah, it was great. Schultz tries to sound upbeat and sociable, but he can't deny it. The life he's built feels dull and unrewarding. As a VP, he's got the loft-style apartment on Manhattan's Upper East Side with its tasteful salmon-colored walls. He's got the pricey car, the hefty salary, the generous expense account, the prestige. He's emerged from a difficult, impoverished childhood where a ringing phone almost always announced a bill collector. And he's the first in his family to go to college. Now, just six years after graduation, he's a genuine American success. But something's missing. Schultz is the kind of guy who needs a mission, a purpose, and frittering away his weekends in the Hamptons isn't it. He makes his way into his office and stares out the window, wishing he could be anywhere else. He'd even trade places with a guy on the street below selling peanuts from a pushcart. He stirs his weak coffee. After all, his daydreaming, it's cold. And that's when he remembers. Last week, he noticed an odd billing pattern. He digs through his file cabinet for the invoice. He studies it. There must be an error. A small retailer in Seattle is placing unusually large orders for a plastic drip coffee maker. The name of the company? Starbucks Coffee Tea and Spice. A few minutes later, his wife calls. Hi, Howard. How are you? Just thought I'd say hello. Hi, sweetie. I'm okay. I can't believe it's only Monday. I know. Well, I didn't want to distract you too much. Just wanted to hear your voice. See you at home. Wait. Listen, I have to tell you about something strange. There's this retailer in Seattle that has just four stores, but they're placing larger orders for our coffee maker than Macy's. Really? Why do they need so many? I don't know. But I've got to figure out what's going on at this company. I'm going out there myself. His curiosity is about to upend his life. Soon, Howard Schultz will find his mission. But securing it won't be easy. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, Get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana's diverse landscapes include dense timber forests and seafood-rich coastlines. And every step along the way, you'll find a business environment that's strong, diverse, and ripe with opportunity. Need proof? Louisiana is where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will soon put the first women on the moon. 
It's also where the port system delivers the most domestic cargo in the U.S., and Louisiana is home to the best workforce development program in the country. See what Louisiana economic development can do for you. Visit OpportunityLouisiana.com today. From Wondery, I'm David Brown, and this is Business Wars. Every wildly successful company needs a visionary leader. Dunkin' Donuts had theirs in the smiling, determined Bill Rosenberg, and now his son Bob. As of 1981, Dunkin' Donuts has been successful for more than three decades, in part because they never faced major competition. But Howard Schultz is about to descend on Seattle, and once he does, Dunkin' Donuts will finally have a worthy rival. This is Episode 2, Mission Espresso. Schultz arrives in Seattle on an autumn day in 1981. The clean air is so sharp it makes his lungs ache. He can't wait to get to the Starbucks store. It's located in Seattle's original farmer's market, the famous Pike Place Market. Schultz makes his way through the enormous market. He's never seen anything like it. He walks by a stall where freshly caught salmon is displayed on beds of ice. He takes in the delicious aroma of baking bread. When he finally reaches the Starbucks store, he's surprised by how small and unassuming it is. A young violinist at the door is playing Mozart. Schultz drops some change in his open case and enters the store. The deep, fragrant scent of coffee beans practically overwhelms him. He gazes at the dozens of large bins full of beans behind the worn wooden counter. They're displayed on long shelves that reach up to the ceiling. There are beans from Kenya, Costa Rica, and Madagascar. Beans from plantations on the Indonesian island of Sumatra. In the center of the store, Schultz sees a mysterious gleaming metal machine with a large tray in the front. A cheerful man wearing a red bandana is pulling a metal scoop from it. What does this machine do? This is the roaster. We roast the beans for a long time until the green coffee beans turn a deep brown. The man stands by the machine, leaning toward it, cupping his ear. What are you listening for? For the beans to pop twice. That's when they're done. Schultz shakes his head in disbelief. For him, as for everyone else he knows, coffee comes from a can, not a bean. Though Starbucks sells only beans, customers are offered small samples of brewed coffee. Schultz takes a steaming cup of Sumatra coffee. The intense aroma fills his nose. He takes a small sip. Whoa! (laughs) Is it too much for you? No, it's just surprising. He takes another sip. Now the flavors are fully striking him. You say this is Sumatra coffee? Yep, folks like it. I can see why. It's got body and packs a punch. I've never tasted anything with such a strong, earthy flavor. Another thing that makes it so good is brewing it in those coffee makers we sell. Everyone who buys our beans also buys one of those. This is why the coffee maker orders are so big. Schultz realizes that all the coffee he's been drinking his whole life 
has been nothing but swill. Before Schultz came to Seattle, he set up a meeting with the company's owners. Now, he heads upstairs to introduce himself to the two men. Schultz can immediately see that they're both at least ten years older than him. Jerry Baldwin is reserved and formal. He runs Starbucks full-time. Gordon Bowker is offbeat and artsy. He divides his time between the store and his advertising agency. Schultz is impressed that they're both so intelligent, engaging, and well-traveled, and that they both have an undying passion for coffee. Baldwin opens a bag of beans straight from Java. He grinds them and brews two cups in a French coffee press. This Java is a rich, buttery brew. Smell that? It's known for its delicate floral notes and a sweet aroma. I had no idea there was so much variety in taste. And why is it so important to roast the beans dark? That roast differentiates Starbucks from everyone else. The finest beans can withstand the heat. The darker you roast them, the more flavor you get. Coffee is simple. Just water and ground beans. But when you have the perfect beans, it's one of the world's special pleasures. Schultz nods. He's envious of Baldwin's passion for the beans. It borders on obsession. And Schultz has to admit that although he likes his job, there's nothing magical about plastic products. On the plane ride back to New York, he can't stop thinking about Starbucks. He thinks, maybe, just maybe. By the time the plane lands, Howard Schultz knows what he wants to do with his life. The next day, he takes his mother to lunch in Midtown Manhattan. Mom, you know I haven't been completely satisfied lately. Well, I have a new goal. I want to leave New York, move to Seattle, and become part of this great new coffee store. It's called Starbucks. You're doing well. You have a future. Don't give up everything you've achieved for a company nobody ever heard of. But despite his mom's warning, he can't get the idea out of his head. A few weeks later, on a cool and rainy Seattle morning, Jerry Baldwin is in the Starbucks store unpacking a new shipment of Kenyan beans. The phone rings, and he sighs. He has a feeling who's calling. It's that kid from New York again. Hello again, Howard. It's the third time Schultz has called this week. I don't mean to be a pest. I'm just so sure I'd be a perfect addition to Starbucks. But we don't have a position for you. I'll do anything just to get my foot in the door. I understand, Howard, but my answer is still no. While Schultz tries time and again to get a job at Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts CEO Bob Rosenberg is basking in his company's success. They now have more than 1,000 franchises throughout the Northeast. Though his father, Bill Rosenberg, is no longer CEO, he's the company's most knowledgeable and respected advisor. Wherever he goes, for business or pleasure, he looks for potential new store locations or checks out existing stores. Bill's developed a point system to scout out the best locations for new stores. It gives credit for visibility, traffic count, foot traffic, the ease of getting in and out of the store, plus points for demographic diversity, how many people live nearby, how well nearby supermarkets are doing. Even the number of kids' bikes is an indicator. Kids eat more donuts than adults. They build Dunkin' Donuts franchises in places that receive at least seven points. 
And these prime locations can be anywhere. Lately, Dunkin' Donuts franchise stores have been cropping up outside the U.S., many of them in Asia. In the fall of 1981, Rosenberg and his wife visit Dunkin' Donuts stores in Singapore and Hong Kong. Business is booming. Their next stop is Bangkok, Thailand, the biggest Dunkin' Donuts store in the world. Rosenberg and his wife gingerly cross the street in Siam Square, a popular shopping district. Motorcycles and buses go whizzing by. The streets are packed with small shops and restaurants and stalls selling food and candy. It's 8 a.m. and the store is already bustling. Well, look at that. 130 seats and every one of them filled. At the counter, young shop girls wearing trendy black outfits stand next to businessmen in suits. Local musicians who've been up all night and are making their final stop before they go to bed. They're all drinking coffee out of Dunkin' Donuts signature styrofoam cups with a name written out in bright orange and pink. And they're happily devouring the special donut geared to Thai tastes, a traditional glazed donut topped with dried shredded chicken and Thai chili paste. Rosenberg looks on, a big smile on his face. He's proud of the savvy way Dunkin' Donuts has adapted its menu to its locations around the world. It's a smart move that let them quickly gain a solid foothold overseas. From there, Rosenberg goes to Japan, where the first international Dunkin' Donuts opened in 1970. Most of the Tokyo franchises are running smoothly, but to his perfectionist eye, one store stands out. He pulls the franchise owner aside. Your coffee is cold. Dunkin' Donuts is famous for its coffee. It's the best there is. If you can't meet my standards, I warn you, I'll shut down your store. We will do better, I promise. Then start now. My good name depends on you doing your job. The whole point of these stores is to share the joy of great donuts and great coffee. You can't settle for anything less. Rosenberg's wife pulls him aside. You are awfully tough on that man. I need to be. Dunkin' Donuts' success is based on attention to detail. We can't afford to get sloppy or lazy. So the more successful we become, the more vigilant I get. And Rosenberg's vigilance is legendary. From the very first store, he's made sure the coffee is brewed in small, 10-cup Silex pots to preserve its freshness. After 18 minutes in the pot, the coffee is thrown away. It's expensive, but Rosenberg doesn't care. After the old coffee is tossed, beans are freshly ground for the next batch. It's his way of assuring that customers receive a uniform, dependable experience. He knows that it's this insistence on excellence that's made his fortune. Winter, 1982, New York City. Howard Schultz is totally frustrated. Months have passed since he visited Starbucks, yet... He can't keep himself from calling Jerry Baldwin again and again. Jerry, you've got to know that Starbucks has tremendous potential. I'm as sure of this as I've ever been of anything, and I know I could play a huge role in helping you reach that potential. But we don't care about potential, Howard. For us, the company's mandate is to sell coffee beans and coffee makers in a few small stores. Don't you ever dream of making it something more? Well, to tell you the truth... I sometimes wonder if we could expand a bit beyond Seattle. You could, Jerry. That's a good dream. Finally, in the spring of 1982, 
Baldwin invites Schultz to join him and Gordon Bowker for dinner in San Francisco. Schultz is giddy with anticipation. Before the dinner, Schultz is in his hotel room, dressing in his best suit and a new shirt and tie he bought for the occasion. He's meeting the Starbucks crew at Donatello's, an upscale Italian restaurant. He arrives early. There's a light rain falling, but he walks around the entire block to pump up his confidence. As he walks, he tells himself, I've waited my entire career for this dinner. He's already at the table when Baldwin and Bauker arrive. They're dressed casually, in sports jackets, no ties. Schultz wonders if he's made a mistake with his formal attire. Then he thinks, they're both older than I am. I'm dressed to show respect. But his main goal is to charm them. Once they're seated, he launches into his pitch. You've got a real jewel in Starbucks. In New York, when I serve your coffee to my friends, they love it. Why wouldn't people all over America react the same way? You could open stores throughout the United States and Canada. You could share your knowledge and passion with so many people. As Baldwin and Bowker listen, their calm expressions don't change. But by the end of the meal, Schultz is convinced he's won them over with his youthful enthusiasm and energy. He calls his wife. Get ready to move to Seattle. I'm about to be hired. Throughout the night, Schultz tosses and turns. He's too excited to sleep. At 11 a.m. the next morning, his hotel room phone finally rings. It's Jerry Baldwin. I'm sorry, Howard. We're just not going to hire you. What? Why not? It's too risky. Too much change. Oh, no, Schultz thinks. My enthusiasm didn't impress them. It spooked them. He paces the room. He has to do something to change their minds. But what? A few minutes later, he calls Baldwin back. Jerry, you're making a terrible mistake. The destiny of Starbucks is at stake. I know that you know how great it can be. Baldwin is about to blurt another stronger version of no. But then he catches himself. Schultz is wearing him down. What gets him most is Schultz's faith in Starbucks. He asks himself, does it make sense to turn away a person with so much conviction? All right, Howard. We'll hire you. You'll be our director of retail operations and marketing. But look, don't get any big ideas. We're keeping Starbucks as it is. We've got four stores. We import coffee beans. We roast them and sell them. That's all. Thanks, Jerry. You won't be sorry. But deep down, Schultz knows he won't settle. And soon, he'll get a massive jolt of inspiration on a trip overseas. Meanwhile, Dunkin' Donuts hits the jackpot with a dynamite ad that features a beleaguered baker. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. 
birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. Springtime 1983, Milan, Italy. Howard Schultz feels like he's on top of the world. He's here on behalf of Starbucks to check out new coffee makers at an international housewares show. As he walks jauntily down a narrow street, he passes a small espresso bar and decides to duck inside. Behind the counter, a talkative man is pressing down on a metal bar that releases a thick cloud of steam. The man hands a demi-tasse cup of espresso to one of the customers lined up at the counter. Next, he makes a cappuccino, topping it off with thick white foam. The barista keeps making various types of coffee, all the while chatting with his customers. To Schultz, it's great theater. And all the while, he's breathing in a blend of enticing aromas. Some are fruity, others are spicy. Still others are woody or sweet. There are nut-like scents, and deep scents that remind him of fine wine. It's a delight for the senses. Schultz goes to the counter. I'll have an espresso, please. Are you an American? How can you tell? Your accent, I'm used to it. We get a lot of Americans in here. And do they love the coffee? They're crazy for it. They say they can't get anything like it at home. The counterman hands Schultz his espresso. As he drinks it... He feels like he's sipping a cup of ambrosia. It's seductively thick and rich. The caffeine jolts him. Leaving the store, he notices one espresso bar after another, all packed with customers. Inside the shops, customers sit at small round tables. Some are talking away, gesturing dramatically with their hands. Others, seated alone, are engrossed in a book or the newspaper. Still others stand at the counter chatting to other customers as they wait for their orders. That night, he calls his wife. The Italians are so passionate about coffee. They've elevated it to a whole new level. There's a romance and a ritual to it. On the way home, he formulates what he's sure is a brilliant idea. To open espresso bars in the United States. While Howard Schultz flies home, members of Dunkin' Donuts' advertising agency gather around a conference table. Their leader rubs his hands together in anticipation. He's about to present the company's CEO, Bob Rosenberg, with their idea for the company's first major television ad. Here's a concept. A baker wakes up at three in the morning. He drags himself out of bed saying, time to make the donuts. What are you trying to say with that line? Dunkin' Donuts is an everyman company, right? Absolutely. Delicious products everyone can afford. Exactly. So the ad dramatizes a routine all working people go through. Getting up in the morning and going to work, like our baker, right? 
Yeah, <clears throat> I, I, I like that. You giving the baker a name? An everyman name, Fred. <laughs> Fred the baker, that's good. The auditions for the role of Fred the baker start a week later, but the casting call quickly runs into trouble. The ad men quietly worry to each other. We've seen more than 200 guys. None of them are right. They're all too perky. We need someone with the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's exhausted because workers rely on him for their fresh donut and coffee every morning. That afternoon, they audition an unknown actor named Michael Vale. He's paunchy with a hangdog expression and a bumbling walk, and he shows up at the audition in the right costume. Pajamas. Time to make the donuts. This is the guy, the one workers can relate to. The first Fred the Baker ad airs in 1982. It's a sensation. Fred the Baker instantly becomes Dunkin' Donuts' mascot and a beloved figure. Wherever he goes, people clamor for his autograph. When he shows up at Dunkin' Donuts stores for promotions, customers chant his name. With the company's newly raised profile, demand increases for Dunkin' Donuts' classic pairing of donuts and coffee. By the next year, 1983... They've got more than 1,200 stores in malls and shopping centers and rest stops throughout the Northeast. When new stores open, founder Bill Rosenberg is there, beaming as he cuts the ribbon and offers free coffee to customers. He feels like the king of coffee. He has no way of knowing that a rivalry is brewing on the other side of the country. But first, Howard Schultz has to convince the owners of Starbucks that espresso bars are a great idea. It'll be the biggest battle he's ever had. In our next episode, a tiny coffee shop morphs into a multi-million dollar moneymaker and an ugly battle between father and son becomes costly. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. Just tap or swipe over the cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors there. We hope you'll support our show by supporting them. If you like what you've heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe. There's another way you can support us. Just answer a short survey at wondery.com survey. And tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about the conversations in this episode. We can't know exactly what was said at the time, but this dialogue is based on our best research. If you'd like to learn more about Starbucks, we recommend Pour Your Heart Into It by Howard Schultz. I'm your host, David Brown. Elizabeth Kay wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Edited and produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez for Wondering. Looking for the hottest takes and the spiciest celebrity gossip? Look no further. Welcome to Rich and Daily. 
the all-new podcast from Wondery that's going to bring you up to speed on all of Hollywood's most current secrets and scandals. Need to know what Harry and Meghan are up to? What's the latest in Britney's conservatorship hearing? We've got you covered. I'm Arisha Skidmore-Williams, and along with my bestie and fellow celeb news fanatic, Brooke Sifrin, we're bringing you the latest entertainment gossip every Monday through Friday. Is that rumor you heard about Rihanna true? If it is, you better believe we'll have something to say about it. So if you want to be in the know about who's been seen with whom and who's in and who's out, join us on Rich and Daily, because we don't just listen to the rumor mill. We give you the celebrity facts as they happen. Listen to Rich and Daily on Amazon Music, or you can listen to episodes ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. With Rich and Daily, feel the gossip. Wondery, feel the story.